morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. We are so glad you are here. If you're new to us, my name is David Hurtado. I'm the lead pastor, and uh, we are in this series uh, we're calling Warfare, the, the ser- a series on, on the unseen spiritual battle. And we'll jump into that uh, a little bit later today, but it's a concept of uh, you know, whenever we find things that happen positively in our lives, we generally attribute that to a higher being who may be working on our behalf. And so, and so we go, oh, okay, in the positive times of life, there goes God. I see him, and I feel him, and I feel close to him. And at the same time, if we're honest, there are some times when we feel like uh, there's almost like an opposing force, maybe a negative force against us that wherever I can, I try to move forward, but then I get this force pushing back onto me. And, and in the church, we don't often talk about that too much. We, 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 we like talking about the God concept, but if there's a God, then there's an enemy. If there's God, there's the devil. There's an adversary. If there's light, then there's darkness. If there's righteousness, then there's evil. In fact, the, you need the juxtaposition of the two to be able to differentiate between the two. How do you know what is right, what is wrong, unless you have those opposing forces? And so uh, we're kind of looking at that and, and looking at the, the idea of how when those negative forces come upon you, and really the first several weeks of this series, are kind of more theological in nature, and then the several uh, weeks uh, behind, the last four or five weeks, will be very practical. How do I now function? What do I do? How do I participate in this? What's my role? And so we'll be looking at that together as well. But uh, so, so we're in that series, just to give you an idea uh, of where we're at, and we'll jump in that today. But first, I thought, let me just tell a quick story. I have a buddy of mine. His name is David Cox. In fact, uh, uh, he'll actually be here in a couple of weeks. He's going to be part of our series in in warfare, uh, and uh, he actually is a, a whole ministry in that realm that I thought would be exciting to hear. His stories are amazing, so we're going to bring him. But Dave Cox, I've known for a long time, uh, about 20 years now, really kind of a mentor person in my life. I like bringing some people who are mentoring uh, of me as a, as a kid growing up and stuff, and, and he's not much older than me, but you know, he's about six years older. I'd be at his house a lot in our college years and into my graduate school days, and um, he often at his house, his sister who would come with uh, her husband and their children would come over. And there's one particular child. Uh, her name was Randy. She's about four or five years old at the time. And she would always ask Uncle David, can we play hide and seek? Uncle David, can we, can we play hide and seek, please? Can we play hide and seek? And he'd, go, and he'd stop everything. He just loved this little girl. So, and she's so cute, a little face. I mean, she's one of those, like you can never tell the little girl no. You ever one of those kids? They're horrible because they, they grow up spoiled. Anyway, so, so he says, yes, I'll play hide-and-seek with you. And so, you know, they're playing hide-and-seek, and, and, and I'm sitting there watching. You know, I always hate hide-and-seek because what can you find to hide behind? Anyway, so, so I'm watching Dave play hide-and-seek with this little girl, Randy, and, and as she's going through, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, right now, here I come, blah, 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 and they start going through the house. As she's going from room to room, like she goes to her room, and she clears the room. There's nothing here that Dave can hide behind or hide under, and so I go to the next room. As she's going to the next room, Dave moves into the room that she just cleared. And I thought to myself, that's genius. Like, you never lose. You never lose in hide-and-seek if you move. I never even thought of that. You could move your spot, you know, type of thing. And then she would clear another room, and he would jump to that room. And she's going around all the house. She cannot find him, you know. And, and finally, at the end, you know, there's this whole little series where she'd go, Uncle David, I don't understand. I don't understand why I can't find you. I can never find you. I don't understand why I can't find you. I go into each room. You're very big. I can, I look on everything you can hide behind or hide under and look at all and I can never find you. Uncle David, why can't I find you? 
<laughs> that cute little face. She's so disappointed. I'm like, all right, this is the point where a godly man says, okay, I was cheating. And by the way, you could use this strategy. It's really fun against your friends. I'll never find you. You know, I'm thinking he's going to do that whole thing. And she goes, why can't I ever find you? And he goes, I don't know. You have to try harder next time. <laughs> That's horrible, isn't it? He's like a four-year-old little girl. He's like, well, yeah, I guess you'll try to have to try harder next time because he's having so much fun doing that, right? If you think that's horrible, you can tell him yourself he'll be here in two weeks. <laughs> that's horrible what you did that child. But that question, that question, why can't I find you? Why can't I find you? And I wonder if there's many of us today who might have that same type of question as it relates to God. Why can't I find you? Where are you? I feel like when the things are going right in life and everything's going in the positive direction, I see you and I go, wow, that's awesome. You're right there and I feel close to you. We feel connected. But then when things go sour and things go sideways and life doesn't turn out the way I expected it to go, where are you and why can't I find you? And today we're going to look at that question of the question of where God is in difficult situations and that's going to springboard us right into our series that's themed out with spiritual warfare, the idea that there's an unseen spiritual battle. The questions we'll ask and try to get answered today. Where is God? What is he doing? And what am I to think? In difficult situations, is God there? Does he know what he's doing? And how should I respond? Does God go blind to my plight in difficult times? Is there some purpose behind all this? And what do I do with my frustration and my questions? And for that, we're going to be in the book of Job. So if you have a Bible, you can go turn there now. Job chapter 1. Uh, uh, Job chapter 1. Really, the overarching question that we're going to look at today is where is God in the midst of the enemy's attacks? Okay, there's this opposing force out there the enemy, Satan, the devil, the adversary, whatever you call him. He's out there and he attacks us. Where is God in the midst of those attacks? And the first thing we're going to see is actually kind of quite shocking. He may be bartering with Satan. He may be bartering with Satan. There may be an interaction between God and Satan over my situation. Like my situation is there, I'm feeling the attack of the enemy, and that is sourced in this bartering relationship between Satan and God. Let's look at that in Job chapter 1. It says this, it'll be on the screen for you. In the land of Uz, there, was, uh, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He was a righteous man, a good man. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 uh, donkeys, and had a large number of servants. That in our uh, day would be equivalent to us saying, this is what his 401k looked like. And he was very, 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 very wealthy. Right? He was, in fact, he was so wealthy, he was considered the greatest man among the people of the East. We'll skip down to verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, uh, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Now, we've talked about in our series already that the earth is Satan. He's the prince and power of the air, so this makes sense. He's just roaming back and forth. The, the, the shocking thing is that he can come into the presence of God. Verse 8, then the Lord said to Satan, have, <clears throat> have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on the earth like him. He's blameless and upright. He's a man who fears God and shuns evil. Your translation might even say he's the most righteous man on the earth. That's what he's considered to be. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? 
Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? Have you blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land? But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely, what? Curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. We'll stop there. Where is God in the midst of the enemy's attacks? Number one, we see that he, he may be bartering with Satan and maybe bartering over our lives with Satan. Now that's not a very happy truth and that's not very fun, but I'm just telling you that's what, it, that's what we have in our story. At least it's a possibility that sometimes there's an interaction between Satan and God and we get caught in the middle. That literally there's a bartering going on. I bet if you took everything away from that guy, he wouldn't worship you. I bet if you, if you stripped him of all the blessings he wouldn't worship you any longer. And there's like a certain wager between these two entities, and we're caught in the middle of a wager between God and Satan. Have you ever thought of things like that? It's kind of shocking to even think about. A couple things are shocking. Number one, it's shocking that Satan can have access to God. Have you ever thought about that? Somehow Satan gets into the throne room of heaven and talks to God to where they deliberate and, 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 and barter over people in their lives that somehow he can have access to God. It's kind of shocking to hear that. The nice thing about this is Satan isn't allowed to do anything without the Father giving him permission. So that's kind of nice. At least I know that if there's this bartering thing going on and God and Satan are bartering over my life, that at least God has to give him permission to do so. Now, the second hand of that is like, God, why would you give Satan permission over the godliest man on the earth's life? Why would you give him permission to ruin him? That's a hard question. In fact, it's kind of where we're going to be heading throughout the whole message today. But at least it's nice to know that he can do nothing without permission of God. If you remember last week, we were talking about there's an enemy out there who, 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 whose endeavor is to sabotage you in your life. And, and we looked at last week. If you weren't able to see it, I'd encourage you to go back online and look at the message. But the idea was he tries to sabotage you internally first. We can look at this as a progression. If I can get into their mind and the motivations of their heart and throw a thought in there to get their actions to be off, I can get them, and then I go after the person. So it's a progression. I'm going to go after the mind, then the action, and then the person. And that's how he tries to sabotage you internally from the inside out. All right? Now we're going to look at today, when that doesn't work, I have other arsenal. I have another arsenal I can use. I can now target you externally as well and see what happens to you. And that's what he goes after with Job. Righteous man, I bet you if he took away all the blessings, he wouldn't, he wouldn't worship you anymore. I bless you if he took all the blessings and replaced them with hardships. Then we'll find out what he's really all about. And that's what he positions before God. And then God gives him the okay to move forward. This kind of stuff here is the reason why uh, uh, the health and wealth gospel movement is so repulsive to me, so repugnant to me as if we don't have passages in the Bible that talk about this very issue, that there's a righteous person going through difficulty, that even though I'm righteous, it doesn't mean I'm just gonna get blessing because of my righteousness, that here I'm righteous and I still get difficulty and still get hardships. And yet the health and wealth gospel movement says, if you will come to know Jesus Christ, he'll make you rich. And if you will come to know Jesus Christ, you need to know that the will of God is for you to have health. Be healthy, be wealthy, the whole bit. If you just come to know Jesus, life will be better for you. And yet we have passages like the book of Job where that's not the case. 
Here is a righteous man, and he doesn't get healthier or wealthier. Quite the opposite. Becomes poor, and his health is in question by the end of this thing. We have, the, we have Paul in the, in, the, in the epistles. I have this thorn in the flesh. Three times I ask God to take it away from me. And God goes, no, I sent it there for you for a purpose because you'll rely on me more. We have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in John 17. Take this cup away from me. No, I'm sorry. This is what I have for you. This difficulty is set before you for a purpose that I may get glory. We have 10 of the 12 apostles who would die for their faith. We have the early church movement where you have all this Christian persecution, certainly under Rome, how the Christians were being burned at the stake. I am not going to tell you that when you come to know Jesus Christ that God promises you a better life, that God promises you a happier life, that God promises you that you'll be wealthy. There is no such thing as these promises that life will be easier for you if you come to know Jesus. The life will be painless for you if you come to know Jesus. The life will be financially lucrative for you if you come to know Jesus. If those things come, great. But God never promises that he'll give you just because you know him. It's just not the case. It's not the case. In fact, he promises the opposite. They hated me and they'll hate you. And there's an adversary out there who I'm warring against, who I have victory over, if you remember week one. We're on the winning team. At the same time, you're going to experience the ups and downs of that adversary in your life. In fact, this is not something that's just Old Testament. We see this Job-like scenario in the New Testament as well. Luke 22, 31 and 32 say this. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith would not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Hey, Satan's asked to come and sift in your life, man, and see what you're really all about. And there's going to be some hard times. You're going to deny me three times. But when you turn back, I've got a purpose for you. You're going to strengthen your brothers. In fact, I'm going to build my whole church based on you. So this is not just an Old Testament concept in the New Testament as well. But I'm just telling you, before you go around thinking that God's ultimate purpose is to do your bidding in this life, I'm promising you right now, that is not a biblical idea. He may bless you. I hope he does. But he doesn't promise you that he'll bless you just because you know him. You need to be understanding that you may be in the very crosshairs of the enemy in between a debate between God and Satan on whether or not you will prove faithful if the blessings are taken away and replaced with difficulty and hardship. That's just at least a possibility that we see in the book of Job. You have to at least acknowledge that possibility. So where is God in the midst of the enemy's attacks? Number one, we say that he may, he may be bartering with Satan. Number two, we're going to find that he may be testing your faithfulness. He may be testing your faithfulness. We're going to keep on going. The book of Job, chapter one. We'll see how this story continues. Verse 13, one day when Job's sons and daughters were fasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. And the Sabians attacked and carried them off. They put, to the, they put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, a fire from God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. And why, by the way, while he was still talking, another messenger came to him and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. And they put the servants to the sword. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you, and while he was still speaking. Yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at your oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, and it collapsed on them, and they're dead. 
I'm the only one who was able to escape to tell you. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell down on the ground to worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord what? And the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by what? Charging God with any wrongdoing. Where is God in the midst of the enemy's attacks? He may be testing your very faith. That might be his whole, the whole thing. A test, there's a test coming. You say, I have faith. Great. What happens when it's tested? Then we see where your true colors lie, where your true allegiances lie. And I don't know if you caught it, but three times in this little story, we see this phrase, and while he was still speaking, while he was still speaking, you ever felt that way? Like, like life can't get much worse. Oh, before I finish that sentence, it just got worse. You ever been in that situation? Like, I, I've been dealt a rough hand. It can't get any rougher. Oh, it just got rougher. Uh, things in, in life sometimes have a humorous way of coming all upon you at the same time. In fact, we have an American idiom for it. It's, it goes this way. When it rains, it why do we all know that? Because we've felt this way before. And the tragedies for Job at this point keep on rolling. Now let's just go back historically. Let's go back to chapter 1, early chapter 1. Uh, he's a godly man, blameless. No one else on the earth like him. End of chapter 1. Okay, let's test his faith. Now all of his livestock is gone, which is equivalent to saying he, you know, he, he was robbed of all his money. The way you equated money in those days was your livestock. And so all of it's gone. Not only are all of his livestock gone, all of his children are killed. The tragedies keep on rolling. And you think to yourself, man, I've seen a bad day. You haven't seen anything compared to that. Nothing compared to that. But all of a sudden, everything's taken away in a matter of a conversation. That's a bad day. That's what happened to Job. And his response is unworldly. I mean, this is unbelievable. Basically, he says, I came into this world with nothing, and I'll leave with nothing. So I have, I'm, no further, I'm, not, I'm no further than I was when I came. And then, we can just put that slide back on the screen, the, 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 the highlighted part. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Can you picture yourself saying that after 10 of your kids are dead, 11 of your kids are dead, and one day, one afternoon? All this, Job didn't sin by charging God any wrongdoing. The Lord gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I will submit to you, this is going to be hard to hear, but I would submit to you that this is a climatic point in the spiritual growth process, not only of Job, but it will happen to you in your life as well. This is a climatic point for the believer and really the, the foundation for having victory over the enemy in these realms. And that is to say this, that when life stinks, and when life sucks, and it's not going the way I thought it would go, I still will not blame God. It's a climatic point in the spiritual life of a believer. It's not a 100-level truth. When you go to college, your first year of college is 100-level. You get to graduate school, you get 800-level classes. This is an 800-level truth. And when life's not going my way, I still don't have the opportunity to blame God for it. No, like Job the Lord gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because if I don't do that, it's sinful according to this passage. He did not sin by charging God with any wrongdoing. I won't sin. I'll trust. I'll trust. 
even in the midst of all this craziness that I do not understand, I'll continue to trust. Why? Because he is higher and I'm lower. He's up there and I'm down here. And we can't reverse these things. There are some things that are of a higher pay grade that he gets to understand that I don't necessarily get to understand. And you find out that whole thing in the process of the test. That there's a test headed for your life. You call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, but understand there's a test coming. A test that will come in your life. It's the test of your faith. It's a, the test of your character. It's a test of your true inner motivations. What is really motivating you? Am I doing this thing because it looks good on Sunday? I get my kids and put on their nice clothes. We put on our nice car. We left our nice house. This completes the picture for me. Or do I really love the Lord Jesus Christ and really submit my life to God? And you only find that out through the test. It has the ability to purify all motivation. We can get right to the nitty-gritty. Where are you at? And Satan said it. I bet if we take everything the guy has and take his blessings and turn them into hardships, he won't worship you anymore. He'll curse you to your face. That's what he said. Often the times the enemy will use external pressures on your life to see what you're really all about. How many of you guys drink tea? Raise your hand, drink tea. I'm getting into tea. It's like zero calories. You can add Splenda, which is like the devil's sugar. You know, and it's a zero calorie drink, you know. <laughs> that bag, you're not sure what's in that bag until you drop it in hot water. Once you drop it in hot water, you see what permeates out of that bag. And sometimes as a believer, God will put you in hot water to see what the context of you is all about. What are you all about? Was this thing just about God serving you and your purposes? Or was this thing about me serving and subordinating myself under God? And sometimes the best way to find that out is to stick you in some hot water and see what comes out. By the way, it's not something that we just see in the Old Testament. We see in the New Testament as well. First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Uh, Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial that you're suffering. Don't be surprised. Why would you be surprised? As though something strange was happening to you. It's not strange. You should expect this thing to happen. The test is coming. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. The juxtaposition of those two things is amazing to me. That somehow his glory revealed gets bigger and brighter and more awesome as I suffer on this earth. That I would one day say, man, because of all those suffering, look how big he is. Look how beautiful he is. That in some way, because of that, that gets better. And as I get older, I resonate with that more and more. The more crap I see in life, I go, man, that's a lot better. Can't wait for that. That's going to be awesome. This, awesome. And that's what he's saying. Expect this stuff. The test is coming. The test is coming. You might feel like you're in it right now. Why am I going through this? You're in the test. We're seeing right now what it produces in you. Didn't want a divorce. He or she left. Thought I loved the most. Had the affair. 